It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's broadcast is pre-recorded. Grace to you and may peace be multiplied by the full knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As all things for life and godliness having been given to us by his divine power through the full knowledge of the one having called us for glory and moral excellence. Through which, through which things he has given to us the precious and great promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having already escaped from the corruption in the world by lust. Everything that Jesus has ever said is trustworthy and true. And his promises are right here, waiting to be accessed. Isaiah 61, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to comfort all who mourn, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You'll be named ministers of our God. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. And so they will inherit a double portion in their land, and everlasting joy will be theirs. This is just an example and the truth of who Jesus really is. His promises are true. But we have to go to him. In fact, we need to run as fast as possible. Because everything will come to prevent the door of heaven to open for us. Our fear, our job, our kids. The devil will come and whisper temptation and entice us into anger and bitterness, complaint, But we can't let it. We have to stand and fight our way through. It's in this place of humility and submission to Jesus that his word will come alive. 1 Peter 1.17 says, And if you call on the Father, if you call on Jesus, and you're asking him to answer you, You must conduct yourselves with reverent awe during the time of your sojourn, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without defect. To remember who this God is that we're waiting on, who this God is that we're We're pleading with, on our knees, weeping before him to open the door. He's not a God that we put in our pocket and take along with us for the ride. He's not a casual, 
person. He's not one to be controlled. He's Jesus Christ, the real person, Jesus. Goes on to say, all flesh is as grass and all glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withered and the flower of it fell away, but the rhema of the Lord abides forever. The rhema word of God will come alive and Jesus will make promises to you. He is trustworthy and true. But what about you? How are you standing? How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. As Jesus does, and his purpose will stand, and everything he promises will come, but he's also watching and waiting, seeing if we will fulfill the vows we will stand under the covenant that we've made with him. In my experience, the key to standing free from sin and for that door of heaven to be wide open is by standing and fulfilling the vows I've made to Jesus. Clinging to him with all my heart because Jesus is who he says he is. He is the God who died for you so that you could be saved. Jesus loves you, each and every one of you, and he's waiting. As you leave this place today, I know I need to, and I encourage each one of us to run to Jesus as quickly as possible. So the door of heaven will open. That his purpose for each one of us above what we need him to do for us personally, but his purpose for his kingdom will come. Welcome to the National Prayer Chapel. The message today is entitled, The Narrow Path to Power. The narrow path to power. Many years ago, I was sitting in my study. I was weeping before the Lord. I was asking him to bring revival. And he spoke one of those wonderful times audibly to me. He said, if you want my power, read my word. And I immediately, in my foolishness, said, Lord, I'm not asking for your power. I'm asking for you to revive. And he was gone. I come now wiser many years later, saying, I desire the power of God. The power of God to change the lives of people to have authority over the powers of darkness and cast them out, the power over sickness that the affliction cannot remain, power. And I have read the word. From that time till this, 
way more than 50 times from Genesis through Revelation. Day by day, reading the word, soaking in it. And out of that soaking in the word of God came great conviction of sin in my own heart. And ways that I was not walking appropriately with a holy God. Power only comes to the righteous, to the innocent. The amount of power you have in your life when you pray will be strictly dependent upon your abiding in Christ, your righteousness in Jesus Christ. The measure to your prayer will be the depth of oneness you have with Jesus. If there's no power in your prayer, and when you pray, nothing happens, it's because you are not abiding in Christ at a level that will allow him to flow through your heart and through your life. Now, I'm going to try to walk with you through this. It's very difficult for me to try to talk about it in a way that will be understood. I have people in my life that I love with all my heart who are walking in abject sin against a holy God. And I know that if they continue to pursue the course they are now on, they will go to hell. And that breaks my heart. I cannot stand that they should go to hell. So I'm going to lay out for you what the Holy Spirit has said to me and that I have walked through now for many years, but it's been quickened in a new way in my life. I want to read for you first the scriptures for the message today, and then I want to lay out the principles that are involved in what I'm going to say. First, Genesis 17. I'll begin reading for you in verse 1. I'm reading for you the ESV. Genesis 17, beginning with verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Now, this is immediately after a 13-year period of time where God did not speak to Abram. Remember, they were on face-to-face terms. God came and sat with him while Sarah prepared a meal and he prepared the beef. Their relationship is intimate, but for 13 years, God wouldn't speak to this man because of Ishmael, because he violated the command of God and walked in the flesh and God withdrew from him. I don't know about you, but I do not want to spend 13 years with God not talking to me. I would be terrified. Some of you have spent more than 13 years and have never heard from God. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Moses is being told that the promises that God made to him that brought him out of Ur the Chaldees. Those promises are not a given. 
They are dependent upon Abram living a blameless life before God. They are based on righteousness and obedience. Without that, God is not going to bless Abram. Then when you look at the story found in Genesis 22, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abram rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. You know the story. We pick it up in verse 11. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Verse 16, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. Do you understand what's being said here? God would not keep his covenant promise with Abraham until he was obedient to God. If there is any disobedience in your life toward God, he will not answer your prayers and he will not fulfill the promises he's made to you. Those are the two scriptures for today. Let's go now to the New Testament. As a young man raised on the farm, and then being shipped off to a high school boarding school, I learned very quickly with two older brothers that the one with the fastest hand got the biggest cookie, and the one with the fastest hand got the biggest piece of pie. And I learned to be the quickest part of the time. I learned that the spoils go to the one who grabs and growls. I learned that I was expected as a pastor by instruction from my bishop. I learned that I was to be constantly in motion and action doing the programs of the church and managing the affairs of the church. I learned that my job was to be a coach, a CEO, a financial manager, a program manager, a cleaner of the building when the building was dirty, the mower of the grass, the do-all and be-all. And I said to my bishop, if I do all of that, when do I have time to read the scripture and pray? He said, you did enough of that in in seminary. Now it's time to go to work. And I didn't go to work. The Lord blocked me on every hand, told me to go to a golf course that was close to where I lived and there was a hill overlooking it 
And he told me to sit there and read the word and to pray. And that if I would do that, he would deliver me from Western Pennsylvania and he would send me to Washington, D.C., where he had told me during high school that my ministry would begin. And so for two years, I sat on that hill, summer and winter, waiting on God because he told me he would move me to Washington, D.C., and that was utterly improbable. And one day a phone call came, and it was the pastor of a mega church here in the D.C. area, and he said, Ray, we're looking for a director of a gate. It's a coffee house and free medical clinic in Georgetown. Are you interested? I said, yes. He said, we'll come up and visit you. I'll bring the staff and we'll interview you. They drove up and interviewed me and then said, would you be willing to come and be interviewed by a group of 30 of our leading men in the church? Yes. Before I knew it, I was moved to Washington, D.C. I looked back on that and it was the first dramatic moving of God to open an improbable situation. A country pastor being taken to the city. They ordained me early. I was to wait four years. Instead, after two years, I was ordained to the gospel ministry. I could recount for you many different occasions in my life where I unconsciously did what God wanted me to do, and because of that unconscious doing of what he told me to do, he moved in power to open the way before me. But more and more as I worked in the work of the ministry, I depended upon my guerrilla marketing and my flesh and my wisdom and that of the members and the board of the church, and was extremely successful. Until such a time that I had so lost all contact with God that I doubted that he even existed. And I knew there had to be a dramatic change in my life. And the Lord God of heaven pulled me out of ministry. And for seven years I had no public ministry. But just every day reading the scriptures and praying and waiting on God the most painful seven years I think a man can suffer. With no money, stripped, bare. Waiting every day for the manna to come. So frightened I could not sleep at night because my stomach was so tight. I had no idea how to survive the next day. I knew it was utterly impossible, and God would do the impossible. You know the history of the National Prayer Chapel. But always in the midst of this has come the painful realization that revival has not yet come. And why? Why has it not come? Does God not love America? Does God not want to turn the hearts of people toward righteousness? Of course he does. But he's looking for a man and he's looking for a people who are willing to pay the price 
And I want to talk to you today about what that price is. Chapter 15, the book, Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 15. I'm going to read for you verse 7. If you remain in union with me, and my ramus may remain in you, you will ask whatever you may desire, and it will happen to you or for you. By this my Father was glorified, that you may bear much fruit, and you will prove to be my disciples. The Lord has put me in a very painful place. There is a dear person that I know that must repent and turn from darkness or they will go to hell. And the Lord has said to me, you may not speak with them. You are to reach that person by way of the prayer closet alone. You may only pray for them. I have in the past confronted them with their sin. I have in the past urged them to leave their sin and to walk clean before God. They would not listen to me. And the Lord has said to me, don't speak to them again about me. You are to win them by way of the prayer closet, alone. The means by which our prayers are answered is found in this seventh verse. If you remain in union with me and my ramas, let's define again very carefully, rhema. It is the breathed word of God. It is an assignment to bring a situation, a person, or a nation into line with the will of God. A rhema is an assignment from heaven. Now, let me be frank with you without being offensive. Most of us get up and we pursue our day and we do what we think we're supposed to do. There's going to have to come a change if the power of God is going to flow in our lives. We're going to have to stop doing what we think we're supposed to do. And do only what Jesus tells us to do. Now part of what he's told me to do is to go to the radio station every day and proclaim the gospel even though I see nothing happening because I'm there. And in fact, angry, nasty phone calls come to me. As this last week it happened. I was actually encouraged by this nasty call 
because this nasty call told me that the devil was raging. And I love it when the devil's raging. That means his kingdom is under assault. That means the power of God is stirring him up. I have no ability to stir Satan up. He laughs at me. I'm a joke to him. But Jesus in me is no joke. And when Jesus begins to move against his kingdom, he gets very angry. And he attacks with full force. And he's ferocious. That is not the time to back down. That's the time to come into fellowship and union with Jesus in such a manner that there is nothing we are doing or saying that is out of our flesh. It is all out of what Jesus has said to us. Now, let's be very honest. I'm much more comfortable doing what I think I need to do the way I think I need to do it. And most of us will spend, if the grace of Christ does not come and change us, most of us will spend our whole lives doing wonderful things that don't amount to a thing in the spirit realm. We'll simply waste our time, our money, our lives. Most of us will spend most of our lives doing things we think are very important. But in the end, it will not make any difference in the eternal scheme of who's saved and who's lost. I don't want to spend one more moment doing anything out of my flesh. I'm willing to do whatever the discipline is God needs to bring upon me. If I need to preach for the next 10 years on the radio and pour out my energy and my life and accomplish nothing, it's okay with me because Jesus said to do it. One person said, I have to go and pedal my bike every day until I'm exhausted and I'm getting nowhere. But I do it because Jesus said to do it. Okay. He will discipline us as he needs to and draw our hearts into a place where finally in the discipline of doing what he's told us, we will learn to trust in him. And then God will come. And he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Do you understand? We don't need our lives to count for something. We don't need to pursue a course that will make us somebody. We need to pursue Jesus Christ and him crucified. So that we can walk day by day in his direction in his instruction. And so part of part of what this means to me is that I'm called to remain in Jesus Christ. Now, let me be specific. That means that every day I have a set time when I come before the Lord. And I read the word, and I pray, 
And I plead with the Holy Spirit to reveal anything in my character or anything in my actions that block his will from being accomplished in my heart. So that he can instruct me. And one of the places, frankly, that I often go is the Sermon on the Mount. And I read the Sermon on the Mount, and I pray through the Sermon on the Mount, asking that the Holy Spirit would quicken any portion necessary to correct my life and my behavior. And often what he gets at is character traits, emotions, beliefs that are not from him, but are from the past training I was trained as a pagan American, a positive thinking. When the tough times come, the tough get going. Or if it's going to be, if it's going to be, it's up to me. I'd better go do it. Well, these are just lies from the pit of hell. They're not true. If it's going to be, it's up to Jesus. And when the going got tough, Jesus went to the cross. So when the going gets tough, I've got to go to the cross, too. I can't rely on my ability to rescue myself. But instead, to look to Jesus and stand by faith, abiding in him, remaining in him, not leaving him. As I do that, the power of God can flow out of the atonement of Jesus through my life by faith to change the reality of the physical realm. Jesus is not going to change the physical realm and bypass you in the process. You can pray every day, and nothing is going to happen if you're not abiding in Jesus Christ, if you're not remaining in him. When we remain in him, then the power of the atoning blood of Jesus flows through us, and it may be such a shock to you to know, as it is to my system, to know that I have no power. That all the power resides in Jesus and in the blood of the atonement. I have no power to fight the devil. I have no power to convince him that the strong man should be bound. I cannot bind the strong man. I can't do it. Only Jesus can bind the strong man. The strong man is that power that comes into your life and ravages you. Takes your job, steals your money, breaks your relationship, gives you ungodly things to think about and to do, attacks your health, will kill you. That's the strong man. 
You cannot bind him. You cannot outmaneuver him. He is quicker on your feet than you are. He is the roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Only Jesus can bind the strong man. And Jesus will not bind the strong man in your life until the power of the atoning blood can flow by faith through your righteous life so that then the power of God can change the physical realm. You want miracles? Those miracles come out of the atoning blood of Jesus. But they must flow by faith through your heart. And your heart must be pure before God. Your mind must be pure before God. You cannot be walking in sin and expect that Jesus is going to come and answer any of your prayers. He will not. On the other hand, the wonderful news I want to read for you. I am the vine, chapter 15, verse 1. I am the vine, the true one. And my father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me not bearing fruit, he cuts it off. And every branch bearing fruit, he prunes. So everything in your life that is draining away the power of God to accomplish his purpose, he's going to cut out of your life. And that's why it takes time in the prayer closet, praying through, asking him to remove everything from your life that is draining power away from the answer that you seek. You are already clean by means of the word that I've spoken to you. Do you understand? The rhema is spoken to you. And the rhema that is spoken to you has the power to cleanse you by the blood. You must remain in union with me and I with you. Just as the branch is not able to bear fruit from itself... It may, if it may not remain in the vine, so neither can you if you may not remain in union with me. I am the vine, you are the branches, the one remaining in union with me and I with him. This bears much fruit because apart from me, you are not able to do anything. What an insult to our egos. But what truth. Yes. And so it's necessary for us to spend that time with Jesus so that we can be pruned, so that we can be very clear about any area where we are not residing in Jesus. Now, what happens is as we rest in Jesus, we continue to be faithful we begin to sense in our spirit the victory that is coming over the powers of darkness where Baal has been ravaging us. Now, this may not be a short process. This may take years. Not because God is slow, but because he has so much work to do in our hearts. And because we resist 
in our pride, in our anger, in our arrogance, we resist. I have done this over and over. Until finally, that which we desire becomes so precious to us, we dare not resist any longer. For we see the loved one is going down the tube, and they will be lost. Verse 6, if anyone may not remain in union with me, he was thrown out as the branch and was dried up, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Let's be very clear. I'm not speaking today about a select few of people who are looking for a deeper way. I'm speaking about the experience of every person who desires to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is to be the common experience of the church. It is not today. It must become so at the National Prayer Chapel. Where we give up our own ways. And we seek the way of Jesus Christ and him alone. Now I'd like to read for you another passage of scripture. First John, the second chapter. I'm going to begin reading for you, please, in verse 3. First John, the second chapter. I'll begin to read for you in verse 3. And by this we know that we have known him. If we may continue to keep his commandments. You don't know Jesus because you have a sentimental feeling in your heart. You know Jesus by obeying his commands to you. The one saying, I have known him but is not continuing to keep his commandments. He is a liar, and the truth is not in this person. Now, what I'm going to show you is that if you want God to answer your prayer and you want to be filled with the power of God, you are going to have to keep the commands he gives you. He will say, stop reading that. Turn off that radio. Don't go to that movie. He will begin to give you specific instructions in your heart. Turn that music off. He will give to every person the specific instruction necessary to wash and cleanse that person's heart and mind. If you do not obey that command you will not know Jesus. Now, all of us know Jesus at some level, or we would not be here. The problem comes as we live our lives blocking the power of Jesus to change us by the stubborn refusal to give up what he's asked us to give up. He may ask one man to give up coffee. And not ask another man to give up coffee. Because he knows that that man finds his 
his rest and his peace and his joy in that hot cup of coffee. And the Lord may say, stop it. And he may say, stop it for a long period of time until that person finds their life and their joy in the word of God in Jesus. And then he may say, "Okay, now you can have coffee again. In other words, he's going to prune from us anything that blocks us in our relationship with Jesus. So for one, it may be the Internet. For another, it may be the cell phone. I have a cell phone. The Lord has not told me that I'm to put it away. Because the cell phone, frankly, is a burden to me. I dread always being accessible, but Jesus said, be accessible. Because, frankly, I'd rather not talk on the telephone. And some people get a little perturbed with me when I don't answer their call as quickly as they want me to answer it or at all. The Lord has not told me to answer every phone call. He's told me to rest in him. The Holy Spirit will speak to you very directly about what he wants you to lay aside that is blocking the power from flowing in your heart and preventing the atonement from flowing through you into the rhema word that you have from God. Verse 5, but whoever may keep his word truly In this person, the love of God has been perfected. And by this, we know that we are in him. The one claiming to continue in him ought himself to walk just as that one also walked. We are called to walk like Jesus walked. And he has to purify us. He has to cut off from us those things that are draining away the reality of Jesus in our hearts. If we won't let him cut those things off, we will have no power. And we will pray dry and formal prayers, and there will be no answer to our prayers. And finally, we'll just kind of give up praying. I pray for one reason. Because if I don't get an answer, I'm going to die. I pray because I have to pray. It's the only place there's power. It's the only place of healing. It's the only place of relief to my soul. It's the only place where God moves and saves men and women and delivers them from the bondage of sin. The prayer closet is where it all happens. First Peter, the first chapter, verse 22. Having purified your souls by obedience of the truth through the spirit in unhypocritical love, 
You must love one another out of a pure heart constantly, having been born again, not of a corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible by the living word of God, even abiding forever. So our souls are purified by obeying the word the Holy Spirit says to us. So if he says, don't go to that club, don't go to that bar, don't go to that place, and we don't obey the word that has come to us, we'll have no power in the prayer closet. And Satan will come and he'll steal away everything we have. I want to read for you one more passage. The book of John, the 12th chapter, verse 47. John 12, the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 47. And if anyone may hear my ramas and not keep them, I, I judge him not. For I came not that I may judge the world, but that I may save the world. The one rejecting me and not receiving my ramas has the judgment judging him. The word which I spoke, that will judge him in the last day. Because I spoke not out of myself, but the one having sent me, the Father himself gave me a commandment and reference to what I may say and what I may speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. So what I speak, just as the Father has told me, thus I speak. Please do understand Jesus only spoke the rhema of the Father. And we are only to speak the rhema of Jesus. And it's going to take time to sit before the Lord, to pray, to cry out. You don't learn this overnight. It takes time. It takes trauma. It takes a desperate need that drives you to that place. And that desperate need comes as you awaken your heart before God and begin to recognize the consequences of not praying that you will not survive, that your money will all be taken, that your health will be stolen, that your family will be lost. It requires going before the Lord. But on the other hand, chapter 15, verse 7, if you may remain in union with me and my rhema may remain in you, you will ask whatever you may desire and it will happen for you. That is, there is no limit to what God will do for you if you follow the word I've spoken to you today. There is no limit for what he will do. There is no heart he cannot change. I have usually referred to the impossible. 
A dear brother challenged me on that this week and said it's more helpful, I found, not to talk about the impossible, but talk about the improbable. Everything is possible to God, but everything is improbable with God. Because he doesn't have anyone who will pay the price of letting the atoning blood have a channel through that person. A channel of innocence and righteousness to accomplish the work that must be done in the physical realm. I know that until we as a church begin to walk in what I've described, revival will not take place in Washington, D.C. It's not going to happen by our marshalling all of our money and doing FM radio. We can do FM radio till we're blue in the face and nothing will happen. We can do national radio for a million dollars a year and nothing's going to happen. No revival will come until a a church will give up their ways and give up their flesh and begin to allow the Holy Spirit to flow through their hearts from the atoning blood of Jesus to transform and change the devil's power, to bind that power. First in our personal lives, the lives of those close to us. And believe me, if Jesus can gain a victory for you in the binding of the strong man, you will have the courage to bind the strong man in Washington, D.C. But it has to happen in your personal life. And when you're given to every activity and everything that seems pleasant to you. And then you're angry when you can't do what you want to do, when you can't go where you want to go, when you're angry because you don't have the money you think you should have, when you're angry because somebody doesn't do something that you think they should do, you're going to have to spend a considerable amount of time in the presence of God as he prunes those branches off of your life. Because those branches are going to drain away the power of God that he would send through you to accomplish his purpose. Do you want the power of God to bind the strong man in your life? In the life of a family member? Then you're going to have to go before the Lord and enter into a covenant with him. To obey his commands, to keep his ramus, to abide in him, to remain in him, to not be a come and go Christian, but to be there. I want to see you be in the spirit in a place where you don't need to do anything in your physical realm to accomplish what God has asked you to accomplish. But pray and watch God bring it to pass. 
Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to do things. You're going to keep his rhema word. You're going to pedal the bike as long as he tells you to pedal it. I'm going to go to radio as long as he tells me to go to radio. I'm going to pray and minister and preach, even though it seems that nothing is happening. But the strong man is being bound day by day as I follow the rhema word of God. I know that in my spirit. You must know it also. If you remain in union with me and my rhema may remain in you, you will ask whatever you may desire and it will happen for you. Almighty God, I vow with you today to remain in you, Jesus. I vow with you today to allow and to invite you to cut off from my life everything that will drain away the power that you so much want to send through your atonement to my heart and on to the binding of the strong man. Lord, I stand by faith. It's done in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Of his glory.